American, that's your race. But the really interesting thing is that actually Asian American as an identity was a political formation. You know, there was a conscious decision among different Asian ethnicities to come together and say, hey, you know, we need to challenge labels such as Oriental, right, or model minority. And we are. Dear Asian girl, for Asian girls, This is Genesis and Alina isn't here to, with me to record, but I'm here with Julie Kim and we're going to be talking about, oh no, she's part of the Asian American Feminist Collective. You can check them out on Instagram. Um, would you just want to tell a background, what's your role in the Asian American Feminist Collective and anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, thank you so much, Genesis, for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Um, yeah, as you said, I'm Julie Kim. And I am a co-founder and co-leader of the Asian American Feminist Collective. My background really is um, as a community organizer and writer. I work in New York City politics, New York City government. Um, I come from working at the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs as a community organizer in Bayside, Flushing, Queens. Um, and from there, I've you know worked at New York City Council. I've worked. I'm currently working at Test and Trace. So you know it is the New York City's COVID nineteen response. So it's always, you know, a lot of work, a lot of cutting edge um, updates. Um, and the Asian American Feminist Collective really started in 2017. And I love talking about the start of start of Asian American Feminist Collective because. Um, it's been so awesome to see so many people interested in what is Asian American feminism, you know, what is the Asian American Feminist Collective. And so, you know, four years ago when um, Trump became president, and I think a lot of people were galvanized, you know, a lot of people were like, oh my God, what's going on? And so, you know, the Asian American Feminist Collective also kind of came out of that, you know, on the rise of the Women's March, seeing you know, feminist leaders kind of um, at the forefront. And, you know, during that time period, we started thinking, and I started really thinking through, oh, where are the Asian American feminists? You know, where are the Asian American feminist leaders? Like, where are they in the conversation that's happening around feminism currently? And so that's how the Asian American Feminist Collective came about. Um, it's was a group of, you know, scholars, um, activists, artists, all coming together to, really grapple with the idea of, okay, let's start thinking about what an Asian American feminist movement looks like. Um, and so it's myself, as, as of right now, there's five co-leaders. So it's myself, Rachel Kuo, um, Saloni, Senti, and Tiffany. And we all have kind of different backgrounds um, and we lead the efforts of the collective currently. So yeah, that's a little bit about AAFC. That's so cool because like, as you mentioned before, you like, because of the Trump administration and because like the rise of that, you, I haven't really seen any like Asian feminists that have really like spurred up as a result of that. So mm -hmm. I remember following your account, like maybe like last year and I was like looking through the posts and it's so cool because as an Asian girl myself, it's hard to, it's like cool to see like these older people like bringing change or bringing like Asian feminism to sort of the perspective 
And I think that's cool that you guys started that up because I know like as a girl, like a senior girl myself going out there in the big world, probably soon, it's mm -hmm. definitely gonna like have a good impact on me, which I definitely agree on. What is some of like your biggest accomplishments like in the mm -hmm. American Feminist Collective for you personally? I mean, for me, just having the space, just having a platform to talk about this. And I think that for Asian American women in particular, I think a lot of the times when we think about feminism, it's like just thinking about, you know, one identity, right? Like thinking about, you know, sexism, for example. Um, and then that's kind of divorced from thinking about our identity as Asian American. So it's always like, okay, we have to think, let's think about Asian American identity. And then it's like, oh, let's think about, you know, sexism, like let's think about feminism, but it's never really been you know, you don't really see often kind of the meshing of those two identities at once. So I think with the Asian American Feminist Collective is a space to make sure that all our identities are in one space. And we can kind of talk about how, you know, we can hold multiple identities at once um, and how that affects our lives, our relationships, um, you know, and how we move through the world. So, you know, I love the fact that we even have this platform. I think before AFC, I was always looking for that. I love thinking about it. Um, so having this as a way to at least, you know, have a presence has been really great. And another thing that I'm really proud of that we've done, I mean, we've done a lot of different things. Like we've published zines. Um, we, you know, do a lot of workshops. Um, but this past March, you know, especially with, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter uprisings all across the country. Um, you know, the Asian American Feminist Collective was able to actually think really critically about solidarity, you know? Um, and this kind of goes into the political history of Asian American identity because a lot of people think Asian American and they just think race, right? That's like, oh, you're Asian, that's Asian American, that's your race. But the really interesting thing is that actually Asian American as an identity was a political formation. You know, there was a conscious decision among different Asian ethnicities to come together and say, hey, you know, we need to challenge labels such as Oriental, right, or model minority. And we are reclaiming the identity of Asian American for ourselves. And that was something that's, uh, really exciting to think about. Um, so back to this past uh, March, April, you know, we were able to do a series with um, Black Women Radicals, which is uh, run by Jamie Swift. And so we did a Black and Asian Feminist Solidarities uh, interview on Instagram Live, and that has actually now turned into a two-year project exploring the idea of Black and Asian feminist solidarities on the Asian American Writers Workshops website. So we actually have a column about this topic and we publish an article, we publish um, something every month. So that's been a really exciting project. It's two years long, so it gives us a lot of time to think a lot about different things. Um, and yeah, so that's something I'm really excited about. We actually just had the launch party for that uh, I believe yesterday. So, yeah. That's really cool. I really like what you mentioned a little bit going back on sort of how there was always just like being an Asian American girl 
and then just sort of the feminist movement, but there's nothing really combined. But I think that's really key in being Asian American, especially an Asian American girl, is having that intersectionality between it and having that ability to really say like, these are dual, like two, they're not two separate identities, they're my one identity. Like that's who I am as a person. And I really like that you brought that up because I think growing up as an Asian girl, I think that's something we struggle to realize because we've always been wanting to not fit into our stereotype and not wanting to be, I guess, quote unquote, Asian. I've definitely had experiences on that, like going to the lunchroom and then like having like my Asian food and then just being stared at for no reason, which is, I think, as I mentioned before, like not standing up for myself at the time. And that's why it's so cool to have like sort of that Asian American feminist collective, because that kind of like gives representation and gives that sort of thing that we need since as a kid. And I really like that you brought that up. So I think that's super cool. Um, so our topic today, our overall topic, as um, Julie was talking about, was the political history. And she had a perfect segue into it better than I could have ever done. Um, but the question I wanted to ask is, what is your knowledge on sort well, of political I history? I also came into, you know, not even just a couple of years ago, I really had little knowledge of Asian American history. And I don't think that's um, by accident. You know, I don't think Asian American history is really something that is taught. Ethnic studies, for example, as a, a field for, you know, has been suppressed. I think that um, knowing your history, knowing Asian American history will actually lead to a lot of awakenings and a lot of discovery. And that's what happened to me as well. Um, it was only a couple of years ago when I even first learned about, you know, Asian American being a political formation. You know, I always just thought, oh yeah, Asian American, that's just, that's just my race. You know, that's just, who I am because of the fact that I'm Korean and, you know, I'm read as Asian in this country. Um, and I really came into learning more about my Asian American history, Asian American identity through feminist, uh, feminist history, because in the 1960s, and the 1960s was a time that I really learned a lot about. And that was, you know, the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, you know, anti-Vietnam War movement. Um, and there was a lot of activity. There was a lot of activism going on at that time. So um, learning about um, the fact that there was this burgeoning Asian American movement alongside the feminist movement, alongside um, gay rights movement, you know, that was really the first time I really started understanding, oh, wow, it's really important to, to realize where Asian American identity comes from. Because only through that will I now have the knowledge of, oh, okay, so when people challenge and say Asian American identity is so large, it doesn't encompass, you know, like South Asians, for example, or Pacific Islanders are left out of this umbrella term Asian American, that's very valid, you know, and that's very true, right? And I think, you know, grappling that kind of critique with what the Asian American identity stand stood for back then is something to to really think about as well and how it how it has become so diluted because people don't really understand like, or people don't really know the history of um, Asian American. You no, know? I just wanted to bring up like, I like the, I like what you were talking about how 
like you did, didn't realize until like maybe even a few years ago that like Asian American was seen more of, I forgot what you said, but I really mm-hmm. like that because even I took AP US history, maybe my junior year. And there was so much lack of knowledge of like Asian American history and what it was, which is so absurd. Even uh, I think they were talking about World War II and Mm -hmm. like how the Philippines was sort of involved with that. And they got the general wrong. They got like, they got everything wrong basically. And like my parents literally had to teach me my own history in order for me to like understand like where I came from. And they're still teaching me today. So I think like, that's what's so sad about like American history is the failure to recognize Asian American history and put it into our curriculum and put it into our books. Because I know I use this book called AMSCO and I'm not to call them out or anything, but <laughs> they had one page of just like blacks and then females. And then just like, like just one simple paragraph per mm-hmm. decade on it. And it wasn't anything like major. Like, you really had any information on slavery, too. So it was kind of bad. So I, in terms of, like, Asian American history, I think it's the failure for Asians, especially to know their culture. We had to learn it through our parents and not through the education system, which I think is something we need to adjust. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, thinking through history and the narrative of Asian Americans in the U.S., Uh, one thing, you know, like the model minority stereotype, right, where it's, you know, the model minority idea of Asian Americans has been used a lot, you know, as a wedge between different races. And one thing I learned that was very interesting to me was that the model minority myth also really came out of the fact that there was very selective immigration, you know, coming into the U.S., So, um, for example, in 1965, there was an influx of very highly educated Asians coming into the U.S., right? And so that, when you think about other um, nationalities, other races coming into the U.S., that would be a very different way of immigrating than than how a lot of Asians in 1960, 1965 were immigrating. So the model minority myth that people, you know, when we think about it, we have to also take into into consideration the history of immigration into the U.S. and how that supported that. But when people talk about it, they don't actually talk about, you know, how immigration determined some of that, right? Like, it's just that, oh, yeah, model minority myth, because Asians are just smarter, or Asians are just, you know, they just are naturally better at math, like XYZ. But we don't actually know the history of, oh, the immigration system facilitated, you know, a lot of really highly educated Asians coming in at one time during that time period. So there's a lot of, you know, historical background that um, contributes to a lot of stereotypes as well. Um, And you know, I'm not really a historian, but, you know, and I wish Saloni was on because she is a historian. Um, but even just for me as like a person who isn't a PhD student or anything like that, learning those things were very eye-opening to me, you know, in terms of how things are articulated and how things are utilized without the full context, you know? Mm-hmm. I completely agree. 
Um, another question that I wanted to also bring up is, I know you know a lot of information about feminism and like how that ties into political movements around like the 1960s and et cetera. I just wanted to know like some of like, who are some of like the Asian feminist women that have been activists in terms of like the political history and especially like Asian rights too? Yeah. So there is a lot. And I think in the 1960s, the main ones are Grace Lee Boggs, you know, Yuriko Chiyama. Um, I also, you know, Helen Zia, who is actually a journalist and has written two books. She actually wrote, uh, oh, what? Oh, she wrote this memoir, Asian American Dreams, I believe, which is an amazing primer uh, for if you want to learn some Asian American history. And so those are some of the people who have influenced me. Um, the Unbound Feet Collective, they also were a group of, actually, it was very inspiring to know about them because it kind of reminded me of the Asian American Feminist Collective in the way. So the Unbound Feet Collective was also a group of, you know, five, six, you know, depending on the year of Asian women who came together, but they did like literary readings, they, you know, performed um, poetry and talked just a lot about, you know, Asian women and sexuality and the issues that they're facing. So those are some of the really cool and interesting people that I learned about when I started thinking about different activists um, in the Asian American space. Um, which one of the activists are you like most inspired by and how is that shaped to the, like who you are today? I mean, I think someone I am really inspired by, although she's not Asian American, um, but similarly, you know, is a feminist is Audre Lorde. I don't know. Have you heard of Audre Lorde before? No, I have not. So Audre Lorde was a Black feminist and she is a writer. Um, she has written a lot of really amazing essays. Um, one of her books, Sister Outsider, um, is talks a lot about feminism, but she is definitely someone who has really influenced me as well as Bell Hooks. I don't know if you've heard of Bell Hooks or not, but Bell Hooks all about love. She was an academic and writer. She wrote about she just she's amazing she's like written a lot of different books about just thinking about feminist identity black identity um so they've influenced me a lot just thinking about the work the work that i do now it's been influenced a lot by um bell hooks and audrey lord because that's just how i came into you know my political consciousness like i started reading bell hooks and audrey lord and i really started thinking about my identity my identity as an Asian woman, my identity, you know, as a feminist. Um, so that really started to catapult me into thinking a lot about, you know, Asian American politics and Asian American feminism. I think something like that I know for a fact in terms of like Asian American feminists is just I think the stereotype that's generally pinned against us is that we're kind of seen as like docile or meek and we don't have like that ability to really speak up for ourselves. So I kind of wanted to know like your experience on it. Have you ever been like stereotyped in that sort of way in terms of like politics or like feminism or anything in between? Absolutely. I think usually there's multiple things against me, which is one, being a young Asian woman. <laughs> you know, I think 
age is also a big factor that people don't take me as seriously because I look younger. I mean, I guess I am younger, but you know, both of those things. And yeah, and definitely expecting me not to say anything. And, you know, it's hard to find the courage to speak out too. You know, I, I don't think, I think that when I was younger, it was harder for me to do that. But then um, it's easier when you have a sense of um, kind of like a clarity on what you stand for, because then it helps you realize, oh, wait, like, I really shouldn't take that. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, sometimes when you don't really know um, or have that clarity on what's okay and what's not, it's easy to say, oh, that it's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. But then once you do have kind of more clarity on, oh, actually that was sexist behavior, or that was actually very um, ageist behavior, you know, or discriminatory behavior, then you will feel more courage to speak out because you know for a fact that what they're doing is wrong. Um, but absolutely stereotypes, especially working in politics, um, especially working in a white dominated field or space, um, you know, you are going to have to deal with that, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean any stories. Oh, my God. But you know what is hilarious? I feel like sometimes I also just get discriminated by members of Asian American, Asian American and Asian immigrant communities, too. You know what I mean? Because I feel like even within our own communities, they you know, have a lot of like sexism or ageism and things like that. So let me think of a story. I feel like, honestly, the one that comes to mind actually is from another Asian woman, <laughs> like an older woman who like yelled at me while I was um, working because she felt that I didn't, didn't respect her um, because I spoke up. Um, that was definitely interesting, but yeah, that's what comes to mind. <laughs> I think like growing up as sort of like in a predominantly white neighborhood, I think for most of my, like, I mean, I mean, I'm like, like only 17. I think most of my life I've always just been sort of falling into that stereotype of not really speaking up in like a political sort of way or not speaking up the way I kind of want to. So I think like that's something like, us Asian girls like sort of struggle with and like mm -hmm. I don't know how it is for you since like you're a lot older than I am but I remember like even like AP US history or civics I would always be so into like these sort of topics but I never had maybe the courage to speak up maybe mm -hmm. because of me being a girl maybe because I maybe because I just didn't have the knowledge that like, cause I know for a fact for me, at least when I do speak up, I tend to get like tongue twisted. Mm -hmm. So then I didn't want to be seen as like fall into my stereotype of like, oh, I'm Das or, oh, I don't really know anything because I'm Asian. Like, especially for Asian girls. Like mm -hmm. I know for a fact that like some guys in my grade at least are very like, oh wow, she's an Asian girl. Like she doesn't, like she should just stick to math or science. Like she doesn't know anything about these sort of topics. So I don't know, that was my experiences. I don't know how you, like, I don't know how it is for you, but. <laughs> I mean, I guess I was always more loud, <laughs> but 
I also understand because I think it's really easy not to speak up, you know, and also you don't always have to speak up in the way that everyone thinks of, you know, it's not always about someone says something and right away you're like being very, oh my God, you did that, right? Or like confronting someone right there and then, you know, sometimes it is through other ways, you know, sometimes you need a moment to think about it, think and reflect about it and be like, why did that affect, you know, why did that hurt me? Why, why was that wrong? Um, and there's lots of different ways to speak up. You know, it doesn't always have to be confronting someone right at the moment um, if, if you don't feel comfortable because you can speak out through writing, right? Like you can write about your experience. You can share your experience on social media. You can talk to other people about an experience you have. I think, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't always have to be that confrontational you know, type of speaking out, you know, like there's so many ways that you can make a difference and speak out on things you've experienced. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of social media and the new age journalism, I guess you can say, because as much as like, I do want to speak out, it's also good to just start low and start even just posting maybe on social media so people know around your community um, your stance on certain things because I know that's the way I started to become more confident and more comfortable in my skin and who I am is by posting it more on social media and then starting to make it more public. So mm -hmm. even just like starting this podcast and starting like starting these conversations has always been a good way to, I guess, break that gap and break that bridge between my own self and my ability to be more knowledgeable on certain Asian topics. Because I know even last year, if I didn't join this podcast, I probably wouldn't know a lot more about Asian American topics. I wouldn't know anything about like Asian American feminism. I wouldn't know anything about even just like my own history and my own background. So I think it's really cool. Like this new even though social media is sort of like a curse and a blessing, it's been really good in discovering and learning more about yourself because there's just so much knowledge on the internet that it's sort of like hard to escape from. Yeah. And I think getting away from the idea of having to know everything or like having to be perfect, you know, I think social media really does you know, in a way, like social media is great, but it also does make me more hesitant to say some things because I feel like, oh, I have to know everything before I say something, you know, I can never make a mistake, right? Um, which is why I think in person, you know, having more intimate, actual relationships with people are so important and like actually having conversations offline actually, for me has been so much more generative because we're, you know, we're able to be more open with each other, right? Because on social media, everyone's going to see it. But, you know, I think we don't um, value enough having actual open conversation and being, and it's okay to be wrong, you know, because I think on social media, it's like, if you're wrong, you're wrong. And like, you can't come back from that. Um, but no one knows everything and no you are all learning there's nobody who knows everything about any specific topic or like can know everything we're constantly learning and the only thing we can do is have questions and be open to that i think even growing up and starting to get more knowledge on like politics and everything it's 
sort of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think it was, but it is. And there's so many like different viewpoints and different like conflicting tones that it's sort of hard to figure out like your identity based on that. So I wanted to know like how, how has like your past experiences and how has like, I guess being in your organization sort of shaped like your political ide ideology and like who you are today as like as Asian American feminist. Yes, that's such a great question because I think political ideology and how we view things are always changing. When I was in high school, I was involved in politics in terms of like I ran for student government and you know I wanted to be involved in politics some in some way but I didn't have a political ideology. You know, I didn't know what I stood for. I didn't know what I was like, yes, this is, I, this is my viewpoint. You know, I didn't have that. I just was like, oh yeah, politics. Like, let me just like kind of see what's out there, you know? And it was only when I started being more grounded and more rooted in not the ideology but on the ground struggles, like, you know, talking to like what's going on on the ground that informed my political ideology. So for example, when I was working as an organizer for the mayor's office of immigrant affairs, I worked with many different immigrants on the ground, you know, document, undocumented immigrants, um, you know, people who have like very, you know, have housing insecurity, um, you know, people who are homeless, like just being in contact with a lot of different people that shaped me so much because I was like, oh my God, there's so many struggles. Like there are people, there are all these different struggles and then kind of connecting it to like, why do these struggles exist? You know, like why are, why are there undocumented folks? And why are people saying you should go wait online? But then you realize, wait, the system doesn't have a line. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, that's kind of how I learned because I think without um, like being rooted and like, I think the first place to start is being rooted in your community, kind of seeing what's going on around you, local news, local politics, small things, you know, small things really help you connect to the larger issues. So it really wasn't until like, so I'm 30 years old right now. I know I just turned 30. I know I just went into my 30s now. I know it's a weird feeling. Um, but it was only like five, six years ago when I started really developing my own political ideology and to get there, it does take a lot. Like I read, you know, I, I was constantly reading. Um, I was always trying to get more insight, but really talking to people on the ground about their struggles will help you figure out your ideology like that's that's how I came into my own ideology as well and of course our personal experience right like the personal is political right and so um, the different experiences that we have will inform our own po political ideology as well wait you were talking about books what books do you recommend because I actually like oh, need books <laughs> So many books I recommend actually. Okay, so, okay. I will say a good website resource, just, you know, putting it out there is if you go on the Asian American Feminist Collective website, um, asianamericanfeminist.org, on our resources pages, we actually have a list of a bunch of books that have informed our collective's political ideology. Because I think that's really important, knowing where people can know what we've been, 
you know, consuming what we've been reading. And so they can know where our viewpoints are. But honestly, one of the books that really changed my life is Bell Hooks, all about love. I know it's like, oh, wait, what is this all about love? Like, oh, woohoo, you know, love, what is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think people, for example, think that love is such a woohoo, you know, not really <laughs> grounded in anything. But I was proved wrong because All About Love by Bell Hooks is actually a really great starting point because it's very easy to read and it's very easy to understand. Um, and it kind of goes into love as a political strategy and love as, as a theory of liberation, right? Like where would we be in our movements, in our social justice movements, anything like that without love, right? Like and without joy, like, are we gonna, what's the point of doing anything if we don't have that, right? So that's a really great primer book. Another book by Bell Hooks, I mean, I really love Bell Hooks in the beginning and I started reading all of her books, but um, Everybody is a Feminist. I love that book um, because I think as a, as a baby feminist, you know, I knew that I was, I knew that women and gender non-conforming folks, non-binary people experience the world differently, but I couldn't really explain how. Sometimes I would feel like someone did something or like sexist, but I wasn't 100% sure, you know, am I just being too much? You know, like, am I just taking it a little too far? Um, but reading, um, you know, I think a really great primer book is Everybody is a Feminist by Bell Hooks. That's like a really easy read. Just, you know, it will really help get some of um, the ideas out there and the things that you experience to put a word on it. Um, and then Audre Lorde, like I love Audre Lorde. She has some amazing essays that will really challenge you to think about the world differently. And you know, thinking about race, um, thinking about sexuality, um, really challenging you to think through that. So yeah, I kind of mentioned both of them before, but they really did inform my political ideology. And so once I started reading them, I branched out into so many different books. I love reading about Asian America, obviously. Um, Making an Asian America by Erica Lee. It's like a history book, so it's a little dense, but it really goes through the history of Asian Americans in the US since the beginning, like 1600s, you know? So that's just like a good, oh wow, you know, primer book. Um, but yeah, definitely visit the website to see if there's anything that specifically speaks out to you because everyone has different interests, you know? Like, for example, if you're very interested in journalism, Helen Zia, journalist, is an amazing person to read. Um, she's like awesome. So that's, a really great place to start as well. Topic. I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any like last final thoughts or any comments that you want to say? No, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm always available to answer any questions on like feminism, Asian America, um, 
but I will say one thing, which is actually that I do feel like Gen Z. <laughs> I don't want to like say Gen Z all the time, but like I do feel like the younger generation, like you know, people your age, yourself, you know, I've been noticing that there are, more, you know, you all are more politically conscious, you know, you at a younger age, you know, and I think that's so beautiful to see because for me like I honestly didn't come into my own political consciousness until maybe even like five six years ago so starting in high school is like you guys are already light years ahead of me you know so I'm just so excited to see like everything that you will accomplish and like honestly your generation because I'm I'm very inspired by you know all the activists and all the people who are already thinking critically about society and where we'll go from here so yeah thank you so much for having me want more of your asian girl you can find us everywhere on apple podcast spotify and anchor we're on everything can't get enough subscribe follow rate review to get all the updates on the latest at dag let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. We also can be found on Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates about our latest episodes and fun facts about the host. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to share the stories of Asian girls everywhere. For the Asian Girl, by the Asian Girl.